Welcome back, friends. This is the To The Men After Me podcast. I'm your host, Nico Williams. This is the audio letter to the boys that will become men in a generation that follow. Uh, the question of the day is, why do we why do we value ability? Man, we're going to talk about it, but I do want to let you know, I am going to be talking extensively about a movie that I've enjoyed. It's called Encanto. If you haven't seen this movie, this is your spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out before you check out the rest of this podcast. And uh, yeah, so let's let's jump into it. Why do we value ability? Um, men, I don't know. I, we live in a society where the remarkable, the gifted, the talented are praised. Uh, I've, maybe this is more than American culture. Maybe this is just what it means to be human. But what we do is we look at something that is remarkable and we go, wow, that's amazing. That's pretty, pretty cool. And I I don't know, I I realized, I think I was at the circus one time. I was like, I think I've defined what is amazing by what I realize I can't do. And I think that's how a lot of the way people think about the world or what's amazing, what, what qualifies as a gift. Why do we, why do we value ability in this way um and i i want to engage this i want to i want to kind of dive ahead first into why our world is set up this way and should it be should it should it not be if it's not how do do we how do we live forward um but i i want to i want to talk about it let's 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 dive into it so we live in a society like i said where your your gift or your ability is like super valued above everything else and I think it really does create uh, a pressure to perform and to succeed in this way that is that's very unhealthy. Uh, so, so some of the most remarkable people in this world, I think about Michael Jordan, probably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I'm not trying to have that debate whether or not it's LeBron James or Michael Jordan. But, you know, you watch his documentary and you realize, like, this guy was gifted with a remarkable talent. Uh, or even you know you're in school or you're at your job or or whatever we just we just love the stories where the person does something amazing whether it's singing or writing or uh, sports or something it's just we look at these these people and we're like man not only not only is this thing really cool but I want to be them I want to be like them I want to be able to make as much money as their gift makes them. I don't know. We we talk about it in, in these ways. And I think it, it does this thing where it totally defines us. It totally gets inside of us. And it totally, totally defines us. Uh, even in my own personal life, like, you, you know, you guys know. This is the third episode now. So, you guys, I've, I've talked about theater. I'm probably going to talk about theater every, every episode. But I went to school for theater. And, man, there is this this culture where you have to be the best. I mean, this is not just theater, this is any any kind of achievement culture. We all we all live in this achievement culture, but you just gotta be the best. I found myself waking up early so I could work on my vocal exercises so my voice would be where it needed to be. My articulation exercises would, would where they would would be where they needed to be. I would go and work out so my, my body would be where, like, this is just beyond general health. Like, I needed to look better than the next guy. I needed to know 15 more monologues than your average person so that when it came time to the audition, I was beating them. 
Like that, like that was the culture. It was the competition. I, I even wanted to be a motivational speaker one time, and um, <clears throat> I don't know who it was. You know, it's uh, Et the hip hop pre- preacher. He got this uh, this all idea of like, yo, uh, if you want to be successful, you gotta want to battle that you want to breathe, uh, and like just you just get into this culture of like hard work and work ethic that makes you better, like makes your gift better than somebody else's not not that you shouldn't be working hard at what you do but it's just like you get into this kind of culture where where i'm working hard not so that i can have a good gift not so that i can be better at my craft but so that i could be better than you i think that's what 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 is harmful i think our society is steeped even american culture probably steeped it's steeped in this culture of being remarkable, being other than kind of like hard work and work ethic gets us to this this better ability. America was steeped in this. This is how our country was formed when when we didn't like or when our ancestors, not my ancestors, uh, when the country, when the the colonists of America was like, you know, we don't we don't like you taxing us. We're gonna we're gonna do this on our own. We're gonna pull our own selves up from our bootstraps. And so I think it creates this this worldview where hard work not only hard work makes us better, but it also it defines like our gift defines us in just a really unhealthy way. I felt it in school. I'm sure you feel feel it in school, where so there so there's two kinds of guys I I, I would always see in school. There would be the person who their whole their whole life is wrapped up in whether or not they're good at sports or they're good at their the top of their class. Their whole life is wrapped up in one of these two things, and then you got the other people who recognize, man, my life is not wrapped up in sports because I'm not good at sports and I'm not good at school either, so I'm just not gonna care. I'm just not going to care. Like when you report card and your GPA comes out, you got two sides. One person's like, yes, oh my gosh, I got a 4.0. Or the other person says, I got a 3.9 and my life is over. And then the other person doesn't even look at his grades because he's like, I'm, I'm not even in the running. And so like there's this, the, the, the worldview that we, not only, not only do I have to be better than my gift, better than the person because of my gift, but I am my gift. And so this is where. I want to talk about Encanto real quick. Encanto was such a really good movie. I really want you to check it out, uh, mainly because it was probably it's probably the first quote unquote secular movie that I've ever watched that pointed me so it pointed me to the gospel so clearly. Okay, now it doesn't it doesn't talk about Jesus and it doesn't uh, explicit. I don't I don't even know if the director is a Christian or not, but. It just gets me to the table. It points me to my need. This is why I need Jesus Christ. Now, listen, men, uh, young men, I need you to listen up because this this will change your life. If you can get past the idea that you are more than your gift, that your value is based off of what God says about you, your life will be changed. Okay, so let's talk about Encanto real quick. So in this movie, uh, everybody in the family gets this special gift, a superpower, if you will, and there's one song in particular that like really highlights this. So one of the characters, her gift is super strength. And so it's it's becoming apparent that people are beginning to lose their powers. I really want you to go check out the, the song, check out the movie, but really listen to the lyrics. I'm not even going to do the whole thing, but one of, one of the songs is called Surface Pressure. And the character 
She says these couple of lines because she's strong. She says, I move mountains, I move churches, and I glow because I know what my worth is. Like, the 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 composer or the lyricist for this song is Lin-Man, Man, Manuel Miranda. He's the guy who wrote uh, Hamilton, and he also wrote Moana. And he just he just really captures this world, this idea in this world. She said that, and he wrote it, but she said, she says, I move mountains, I move churches because she's strong. And I glow because I know what my worth is. And it, and it, and it reveals, like, all throughout this song, she begins to understand, like, there's this pressure and it's gripping her. And she's, she's afraid because she says this, she says, under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. How many of us think like this? I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I'm gifted at. And so I'm worthless. Or if I lose my ability to do X thing, then I'm worthless. This is what creates spirals. You know, like I am as good as my gift is. And if I don't have my gift, then who am I? That's that's literally kind of what she's asking. If I'm not strong, who will I be? If I'm not good at football, what will I? I mean, you have all these people who come across these identity crises because football has failed them. They're not going to make it to the NFL. Or they're not the uh, valedictorian of their school. They get to college and they don't get the job that they've been preparing for their entire life. Y'all, one day I want to plant a church. I want to plant a church. And I have rearranged my entire life to do this. But I, I, I hope... That I've gotten to a place in my relationship with Jesus that if that doesn't happen, I will be okay. I'll be sad, and I'm gonna deal with that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay because my worth is not wrapped up in my ability. And we Christians, we gotta be really good men. Listen up, men now who are who are mentoring people, we have to be really good at helping people understand that they are more than their gift. And this is what that movie points us to: they're more than their gift. But the movie leads us kind of to the table. At a, at a feast of the gospel, but it doesn't take us there. Because, like, if you get to understand I'm not more than my gift, okay? Oh, If you get to understand I'm not my gift, that I'm more than my gift, okay? Well, how do I define my worth? How do I define my value? Where do we go? Where does that come from? How, how do we do this? The answer is we, we realize that our value comes from who God says we are. That is how we, that's how we get there. That's how we get there. That's how we move from I'm my gift to having a value that is that is more than my gift okay and it, and this doesn't like i said this does not come from inside it comes from who god says we are one of my favorite verses that really helps me understand all of this helps me get there is i think it's second corinthians i think it's first corinthians actually i'm lying <laughs> it's, it's second corinthians chapter three verses four five and six and this is this such is the confidence that we have in christ such is the confidence that I have in Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who makes us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. And this, I don't uh, you read one of these verses and it just really brings light to my eyes. Like, wow, like my sufficiency as a man, as a human, as a person does not come from my ability. My sufficiency it's been stamped on me by what God has said about me. If I listen, if you can recognize that what God's word is, if God's word is true, 
and it has changed the reality of your situation, your life will change. The, your inner thoughts will change because, like, when I fail at my job, I can't. I'm and I start to feel a little down. Then I look back at scripture and say, No, 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 my sufficiency is not in my job. On what I've what I've done, what value I've been able to bring to my job, my sufficiency is in who God says I am, and that frees me up. That frees me up to not get caught up in the loss or the failure. It gives me the ability to assess, adjust, pick my head up, and move towards the next task. And I'm not so caught up. And I'm also not so caught up in trying to win the approval of my superiors. Why? Because my sufficiency is not from my superiors. My sufficiency is not from my performance. My sufficiency is from God. This. So, yeah, we have the reason why we value ability is because it's remarkable and sometimes like it tells good stories but if we go too far on valuing ability our society our, even our churches our churches value these performance abilities these performance gifts the gifts that uh a lot of people see so preachers get valued like man that that boy that brother can preach all of a sudden he's he's elevated that person can sing they are elevated they are good teachers they are elevated before everybody and so it does this this really weird dichotomy where it says your gift is more valuable than the, the serving gift so serving gifts are things like man people who have generosity people like i'm not just talking about they got money but they 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 just like to give people who have hospitality gifts where when you walk in their house or when you talk to them they make you feel seen and loved and known shout out to mama t uh, shout out to elizabeth underwood Shout out to uh, uh, Chris Dale. Um, these people make you see, feel seen and known. Like they got the, the gift of hospitality. They, they got the serving gifts. And so uh, we got to be careful in the church. We got to be careful in Christian cultures because what we'll do is we'll say these gifts are better than these gifts. And then the people with the, the public gifts, they start to value these. They start to find their worth in the, these public gifts. And then what happens when they lose their voice? What happens when they can't, uh, they lost their platform? All of a sudden, we don't know who we are. We got to find our identity. We got to stake our identity in something that is greater than our ability. And that's why I really loved Encanto because it really revealed that we are not our gifts. Okay, I want to move on. I want to move on to getting in the word of God because the word of God is the thing that is going to change us. And so, y'all, I really hope and I, I pray that you'll see that the word of God challenges us. It changes us and it rearranges us. So I've been in Luke. Y'all know I've been in Luke. I've been in this past couple of weeks, been in Luke chapter 11. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. And this is what it says. When the crowds were increasing, he, being Jesus, began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. So will the son, I'm sorry, so for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something is greater than Jonah here. Okay, let's dive into this. I told y'all I'm really trying to set you guys up for success and how to have a good, quiet time with the Lord. And so my first thing that I do is I just go and I make some observations of each 
verse of the text. So, so what's happening? What's the context? So let's talk about it. Jesus has just cast, cast out a demon and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders were like, you ain't casting out demons by the power of God. You, you casting out demons because you're the prince of, of the devil. Okay. And so, uh, here in this text, the crowds were coming around Jesus teaching and Jesus looks at the crowd. It's funny because the crowds are increasing. Verse verse 29, the crowds are increasing. And Jesus looks and says, y'all are evil generation. This is crazy to me because Jesus is not caring about trying to have a big audience. That's not that's not his desire right here. Because if he, if he cared, he wouldn't call the people that he's teaching an evil generation. Okay. So he says, you know, this is an evil generation. He's particularly talking about, I think, a subset of people. But he says, this generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The reason why this is really unique or significant in my mind is because I, I think I can see how our generation is kind of similar. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the skeptics. They don't believe that he is who he says he is. And we live in a, in a society where people are skeptical of Jesus. They're skeptical of faith-based things. And so people are like, all right, we'll prove it. Prove it. If Jesus is the son of God, prove it. If the Bible is a special book, I need you to prove it. And so Jesus, he's like, no, no, no. I'm not I'm not about to do all this. Okay, because the, the whole thing is Jesus has already kind of shown throughout his ministry that he is a remarkable, not just remarkable, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's been healing. He's been casting out demons. He's been reading people's, basically reading people's minds. And he's teaching with a wisdom that is beyond the religious leaders of the day. And so these, these Pharisees and these Sadducees are like, you say you're something, God, all right, we'll prove it. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to fall for this trap. He says, I'm not going to give you another sign. Wow, Jesus. Jesus Jesus is Jesus. He bold. He says, I'm not going to give you a sign. Here's the sign that you got. The sign is the sign of Jonah. He says, he says, just as Jonah was the sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man. Whenever Jesus says the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He, him being God is being also the Son of God, also being the Son of Man. He says, I'm, I'm going to be like Jonah was to Nineveh, but for this people, for this generation. Now, this is, this is kind of cool because what happens with Jonah, uh, it seems like Jonah, God is, Jesus is not necessarily talking about the miracle of Jonah being being uh, swallowed by the well and then being uh, cast out of the well and he goes to Nineveh. It seems like Jesus is referring to the miracle of the repentance of Nineveh. That's what it seems like. He says, I, basically, I'm here to show that repentance, because when I speak, when Jesus speaks, repentance happens and belief happens. This is the sign that Jesus is talking about. Then he goes on, he says, the queen of the south, will rise up at the judgment with the men of the generation and condemn them. Who's the queen of the south? The queen of the south is actually the queen of Sheba. Uh, in, in, I want to say Second Kings, Solomon. Solomon is the son of David, who is the wisest man apart from Jesus. The queen of Sheba hears of this wisdom, and she comes from, I want to say, somebody say Yemen. I, I, could, I should do the research on that. But she comes from far ways off just to hear the wisdom of Solomon and to hear of the goodness of his God. And so Jesus says that at the end, when the end comes, when everybody is kind of being resurrected and, and judged, 
she, the Queen of Sheba, is going to condemn the people of this generation. Why? This is this is interesting. Why? It says, she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus says, okay, she, he, he, makes, he compares himself to two figures in the Bible. He compares himself to Jonah, he compares himself to Solomon, and he, he says of, of Solomon, he says, something greater than Solomon is here. There is a wisdom that is greater than Solomon here in your midst. The queen of Sheba is going to judge you at the end of the day. At, when the end comes, she's going to judge you because she says, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, she went all this way to see the wisdom of Solomon. You got the wisdom of God right here in your midst and you couldn't see it. She's going to judge you. She's going to be like, I went all this way so I, could, so I could have some wisdom that I've never seen before. And you got the very wisdom of God and you didn't see it. He, gonna, he goes on. He goes on and he's like, verse 32. The men of Nineveh will do just like Queen of Sheba and will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Again, Jesus compares himself to Jonah and he says something greater than Jonah is here. There is Jonah had a, a, a crazy preaching power where he <laughs> the Bible only records like a few, 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 few words and all of Nineveh repented. There's a crazy preaching power. And then Jesus says, there's a greater preaching power than Jonah right here in your midst, and you would not repent. Ah, okay, so what do we do with this? I'm asking, I, I tried to do a couple of things. I told you I think I did this in the last episode. I, I try to ask four questions to kind of try and wrap it all together. So the first question is, what is the main point of this text? What is the main point of this text? I would, I would say that the main point of the text is that... Uh, the sign jesus is the sign from heaven jesus presence is the sign from heaven something something along those lines that jesus himself his presence is a sign from heaven and he is because he is the wisdom of god so then okay what is the was the main point of the of the so we got the main point of the text so then what is the purpose for god's people what is the purpose for god's people man if i had to look at my notes I was looking at my notes and the purpose for God's people. I think it's to to risk to repent to receive the wisdom of God. We should not be like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We should receive the wisdom of God and then we should repent and believe. Repent is just a fancy word for saying I'm sorry I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm turning around and I'm not going to do what I used to do. That's that's what repenting and then we should believe. When we when we see the wisdom of God, when we hear so so the wisdom of God is embodied in Jesus Christ, and we can see the wisdom of God in the Bible. So the purpose for the church is to receive the wisdom of God in in Christ in the Bible to repent and turn around. So then I would say, okay, so what is the gospel connection? What have we seen God do in the redemptive narrative, the redemptive story? I, I it would be as simple as this. God sent the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ so that we might repent. This is what, and, and what's even greater, a greater kind of story here is that unlike the Pharisees, people in the church, people who have believed in Jesus Christ already, they have seen the wisdom of God. They have received the wisdom of God because without the Holy Spirit, we won't do it. We'll be just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We will see something greater than Jonah. We'll see something greater than the wisdom of Solomon, and we won't know what to do with it. We will reject it. 
That's that's what we see. That's what we see time and time again. We reject it. Uh, so what? So that's the gospel connection. So what's the gospel application? The gospel application is a question I'm asking. Is like, how does this text rightly motivate me to live a godly life? And I'll say, it rightly motivates me to receive the God, the the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ through His Word, and then I want to validate. I want to validate the sign that is Jesus through my life. Okay, remember how earlier we talked about we live in a skeptical society where people are asking, okay, I need you to prove it. What if we as believers, men who are raising up young young men, the men that are going to come after me, to my future, hopefully I have a future son. What if we had it in our minds that we would be the kind of people whose lives validate the wisdom of God? They validate that Jesus Christ is the son of God. How? Through radical repentance and radical righteous living. What if that's the way we lived? What if we lived that way? Where when someone says, okay, I want you to prove that Jesus is the son of God. And we say, look at my life. Before Jesus, I used to be wrapped up in uh, sexual immorality. And now I am fully committed and devoted to my wife. What if um, when people say, I want you to prove that Jesus is the son of God. You say, uh, I, I used to be caught up in the passions of my abilities or my giftings. I I lived in such a way that I was my gift, but now because of Jesus, my gift only just glorifies God. If if God took it away, I would be okay. I want you to somebody says, I want you to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. You say, I want you to look at my life. I used to be stuck on drugs and alcohol or whatever and now I'm free to live on God what if that's the way we live y'all that's all I got for today hope y'all enjoyed this episode of to the men after me podcast I'll see y'all on the next go round be blessed